Hey there, before we get into today's episode, I want to say first and foremost, happy Pride Month. I want to offer my deepest love and support of the LGBTQ plus community this month and every month to follow. In lieu of Pride Month, I'm honored to also share this moving first chapter deep dive analysis, which features Glennon Doyle's best-selling and groundbreaking memoir, Untamed, which I analyzed with the incredible book coach, Suzette Mullen. I also want to point out a quick change to Suzette's upcoming memoir. Since the recording date, the title of her memoir has been renamed to The Only Way Through is Out. Please note this change not only here, but in the show notes. And make sure to check out the links so you can pre-order and purchase Suzette's memoir or learn more about her wonderful book coaching services and communities. And now I'm elated to share this episode's first chapter deep dive analysis of Untamed. I scoured the internet and I had been unable to find this, but if I ever had the opportunity to get Glennon in a room, I would love to ask about how, when that story took, I mean, we know when it takes place, she tells us, but how it took place in the context of writing this book. I mean, had she written the book and then this thing happened or whatever, because it's obviously, it's such a perfect, it just sets the whole book up. And you can't make up moments like that. They just have to be aware of them and have your eyes open. So I'd love to hear the story of that someday. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Lit Match, a podcast made to help writers find the best literary agent and business partner for their writing career and also learn how to write the best manuscript possible so that they can hook their dream agents. Today, I'm bringing you another first chapter deep dive analysis, and we're looking at memoirs today. So we're actually going to look at a memoir that I have had on my desk since it came out, and I have not removed it. I'll talk about this. I have not removed it from my writing desk because I really wanted to get to it. I just haven't gotten to it yet until I was lucky enough to find today's guest, Suzette Mullen. She is a book coach who specializes in memoirs, and she's going to analyze the opening chapters of Untamed with me. So really excited to share that analysis with you and some other insights, like the difference between memoir and fiction. How are they different? How are they the same? What can we th- and how can we look at and understand memoirs and still use that to learn and elevate our writing craft, despite what genre we are writing? For a little more on Suzette, Suzette Mullen is an author accelerator certified book coach, and she is committed to amplifying LGBTQ plus voices and bringing their real life stories into the world. Suzette loves helping writers find the deeper story inside the experience they are writing about, and she also finds great joy in fostering writing communities, whether it's by helping writers make one-on-one connections or creating ongoing accountability and support opportunities. In addition to coaching memoir and nonfiction, Suzette writes personal essays and long-form memoir. Recent publications include a New York Times tiny love story and an essay that went viral on today.com, which I will link in the show notes. Graveyard of Safe Choices is Suzette's memoir about coming out later in life, and this will be published by the University of Wisconsin Press in 2023 or 2024. They're finalizing the publication date. You can find and learn more about Suzette and her book coaching offerings including Write Yourself Out, her community exclusively for LGBTQ plus writers, 
at www.yourstoryfinder.com. And I will include links to that in the show notes. Now for today, let's turn to the memoir that we are going to analyze with the first chapters. It is the wonderful, incredible reing memoir untamed by glennon doyle and we will be looking at the prologue as well as the first chapter using our series of questions for that first chapter deep dive analysis hi suzette thank you so much for coming on lit match with me today i'm really excited to analyze this memoir today what we're going to analyze i'm going to hold it up is untamed by glennon doyle and this is a memoir yay yes so the cover is so pretty. <laughs> it's like, this is a memoir that I wanted to read immediately when it came out. And I got it as a Christmas present. And it, it did not leave my writing desk. But I had a lot of other books on my list. So it sat on my writing desk. It never left it. It's still there. It's still prioritized. But I was so excited when you suggested we analyze this one. So I was like, yes. A reason to finally get me started. And of course, immediately when I started reading it, it was one of those, oh my goodness, I see immediately why this was such a big sensation over 1 million copies sold. And I'm going to have to read all of this and I'm probably going to read this quickly. So excited to to talk about this with you today. Yeah, I've been a pretty big fan of Glennon's for several years. So I was anticipating the book. I pre-ordered it. I was even going to go watch her and listen to her talk on the Untamed tour and it was canceled because of pandemic and there's a lot to talk about in this book. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. One of the things that I wanted to talk to you before we get into the first chapter's deep dive analysis is, well, first of all, you're a memoir, you specialize in memoir writing and coaching. So I'd love to hear a little bit more insight from you because I really enjoy reading memoir, but I do not coach memoir. So what really is the difference between memoir and other genres? And how do you go about navigating how to write and coach that? Yeah. So memoir is true story. And it is the story of the 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 author is the protagonist. Well, yes and no. They're the same person, but there's the character who is the protagonist, who is the the author at a different a different stage of time when when the story takes place. And there's a lot of similarities between fiction and memoir in the sense that it's particularly if you're writing a memoir that is a more traditional narrative arc, you know, you have a, you have your beginning, your middle and your end. You have a lot of the, the same story structure questions that you, you work with in when you're, when you're coaching fiction. But I think in memoir, uh, I'd say there's a couple of differences. I'm seeing in particular lately, there's more feels like there's more freedom in how memoirs can be structured. I'm seeing, and we'll talk about this somewhat in Untamed, and we're seeing more and more memoirs that are not just a straightforward narrative, linear chronological narrative. And we're seeing memoirs playing with form a lot more. And I think that makes a lot of sense, particularly depending on what the subject matter of memoir is, because Memoirs do tend to be about hard things. They tend to be about grief or trauma. And although they can be about a lot of other things, you can have happy memoirs too, but you don't seem to have quite as many of those. And so how we process trauma, 
isn't necessarily linear. So uh, we're, I'm seeing a lot of different structures, a lot of different freedom in structure versus not to say that there can't be some different structures in, in novels and fiction as well. And then I think the other big thing, and this comes up more in the coaching, is that, you know, you're dealing with the person's personal life. And as I said, it's usually, it's hard stuff. And they're often writing about things that maybe happened a long time in the past, but they're still, they're often re-experiencing the trauma and it's a different animal. Now I know in fiction and you coach fiction and I don't, so maybe I'll let, I'll let you speak for yourself, but I know that in fiction, you're often are writing about your own stuff. You're just writing about it in a, in a different context. So you're, you're also dealing with the emotions of the writer. But so I'd say those are the two main differences, freedom and structure and really having to hold space for the writer that you're coaching because they're, they're writing about deeply vulnerable personal stuff. Yes, I agree with you. I think that it is it's memoir in particular, very personal, right? Because it is an actual life fiction. I find inspiration from because we have to write from our perspectives, right? So part of the magic of books is that they inspire empathy by sharing different perspectives. We can we learn through books because we have this beautiful opportunity to explore someone else's perspective on life, whether that be contemporary or fantasy. It really has the range of it, but there's something that we all have to say. And you had mentioned this off podcast, how important it is to have a point to each book, a point to a memoir, same case in fiction. There should be an overarching point of why this book, why are we reading this one? Could you talk to us about what you think the point of an untamed is. And I guess we'll expand a little bit more of that in the seven questions. But just quickly, tell us what untamed really is about, if you were to give a pitch for it, and why you felt so drawn to it, why you're such a big fan of Glennon. Yeah. I think that I'm sure Glennon and her copywriters can say this more eloquently than than I can. But for me, the point is that she's definitely writing to women. And that women have been conditioned from a very young age to be good girls, to be, to be tamed, essentially. And that isn't our, our nature. And we, we all have, we all have that wild within us. And so I think that the book, the point of the book is to uncover the sources of how we have been tamed over time as women collectively and as individuals and to discover the keys to free us and be who we, who we truly are. You mentioned in the intro when you were talking about you having bought it but not having read it for a while that it sold over a million. I think, I think we're into well over two million at this point. This book was published in March 2020 right as like a week or so before the pandemic, the whole world fell apart, right? And it has definitely touched a chord with women of, I would say, pretty much all ages. And Glennon talks about her relationship and marriage to a woman. And Glennon previously had been married to a man. So this definitely speaks to people in the queer community, but it speaks to, I think it speaks to all women, really. And that's why it is 
it's been such a such a a huge bestseller. And so my own memoir about my coming out later in life journey and the many of the themes in this book strike a chord in my experience. Thank you for sharing that and for letting me know even more how many copies sold because I'm going off with the cover. So yes, that would make sense. Yeah. Probably double the number for sure. I'm also so proud of you for writing your memoir. That's wonderful. I can't wait to read that when it comes out. I agree with you again. I really hit home, like even the, the first chapters. Some of it is hard to read because you connect with it so deeply. There's a chapter not in the first chapter, so we won't get into that with with the analysis, but she's talking about the different way that shampoo and conditioner is even labeled when she's reading her, her children's shampoo and conditioner. And my stomach was turning because of what is marketed for what a woman's shampoo should be like and what a man's shampoo, shampoo should be like. If you're listening to this, to be concrete about it, it's the typical, the man's shampoo is used with verbs. To, to slam things and you know it, it was all like strong bolded verbs and then the woman's was all adjectives about being feminine and calm and, and like all of these things right which of course in a way that's not to put judgment on any of those qualities of someone either but it was, it's the stereotype of what someone is supposed to be i hear you on that that's very much what Glennon is sharing in this memoir and why I think it hits home with so many people, particularly women, who have felt this, who have felt suppressed in their own ways based on societal expectations. And sometimes we don't even see it until we see it. And I think that that's one of the things that when I'm reading certain chapters, I'm like, oh, my stomach turns a little bit. So it's it's hard. It's an act of courage to write stories like this. It's an act of courage to read stories like this and to open our minds up to learn from them. So, yes, there's a lot to say with this one. Absolutely. And I think that one of the things, and we will get into this a little more when we dig into prologue in chapter one, but I think that one of the things that Glennon does very effectively, and your shampoo example is a great, a great one, is that her eyes weren't opened to the degree to which she had been tamed. And so this book is an exploration of her own journey and how these things that we just take for granted, like who would have thought to look at shampoo, right? And so there's this awareness that she's giving us the gift of of sharing her awareness so that we can then be more aware in how, how that has played out in our own lives. And I just have, I have to throw this one more example out there before we get into it. She's further talking about her daughter, Tish. And in school, she learns about global warming and the ice caps are melting. So the polar bears are dying. And she goes on and on. Like, I think the chapter is actually called Polar Bears. And mm-hmm. she goes on and on about these polar bears. My daughter just kept going on and on about these polar bears. And she wouldn't sleep because of these polar bears. But then at the very end, Tish explains right before she rolls over to bed about how she can't stop thinking about the polar bears because no one cares about the polar bears and who's next with the polar bears but people. And then Tish, she really internalizes it. And then she's like, the polar bears, you know? So it was like one of those things where examples, like she's modeling it right there, exactly what you're saying. She's adjusting her perspective based on her experiences and her awareness 
opening her eyes up to what she's experienced, why she's experienced it. And like you said, memoirs are hard. You have to work through a lot of emotions. One of the most meaningful takeaways I had from the polar bear chapters is that she then talks about how Tish is a sensitive person and sometimes sensitivity is looked on negatively in society. But she's like, but if we don't have sensitive people, then we don't have any reason to care about these things. Like sensitive people help bring attention to what we need to care about. And the opposite of sensitive isn't brave. The opposite of sensitive is insensitive. And using Mm -hmm. that, even like the word choice there is like, yes, because you don't want to be insensitive. Everyone wants to be brave, but you don't want to be insensitive. And I was like, oh my gosh, she gets so concrete with her examples. She really pulls it out in a personal way. You can tell I'm excited about this one. But yeah, I can. Yeah, I yeah. love it. Yeah, we'll go ahead and go into it. I will give a brief summary. And just like all of my first chapter deep dive analysis episodes, I give a brief summary. We will be doing the prologue and chapter one today. So I'll give summaries briefly of the prologue and of chapter one. And then we will move into the big seven key first chapter questions, which I use from Paula Munay's book, The Writer's Guide to Beginnings. So that helps us understand how these chapters set up big picture expectations for the reader. And then we'll zero in on a scene analysis. And we'll talk about that when we get there. So for this, the prologue, this is what I have. Feel free to jump in or correct me or do anything if you see improvements for it. The prologue, I said, Glenn attends a cheetah run with her wife, Abby, and two children. As they watch Tabitha, a cheetah trained to chase a dirty pink bunny, a stuffed pink bunny, down a runway and enjoy the reward of a store-bought steak, Glennon feels queasy. During questions, Glennon's daughter, Ama, points at Tabitha, who no longer acts tame but scouts the boundaries of her quote-unquote cage. Glennon thinks to herself about what Tabitha might be thinking and then reaffirms Tabitha in her own head that Tabitha is not crazy. And Glennon says, she is a goddamn cheetah. That's an important line. And then chapter one, this is the summary. This chapter is called Sparks. And my summary is Glennon's wife, Abby, proposes to Glennon after asking Glennon's parents for her hand in marriage. We assume that Glennon says, yes, it's not on the page, but it can be assumed. Glennon and Abby talk about Abby's conversation with Glennon's parents, particularly how her mother responded to Abby's question with, and this is a quote, I have not seen my daughter this alive since she was 10 years old. That's the end of the quote. This comment unnerves Glennon, and she thinks about how life has tamed her and why she allowed this to happen since she was 10 years old. After a quick reflection about how becoming tamed made Glennon sick, she actually was bulimic for a time in her life, she confirms that she understands herself differently now. She is a goddamn cheetah. Glennon spends the resolution of the scene thinking about how Abby helped her remember her wild and that having a life with Abby was her first personal idea since life tamed her. How's that sound? Yeah, I think he nailed it. I would just add that Glennon asks herself, where did her spark go at age 10? How had she lost herself? Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm not sure that Abby or Glennon would say that she asked her hand in marriage to the okay. parents. That, that's not, I'm being a little playful here, but I guess that feels a little possibly patriarchal. I don't want to speak for Glennon or or Abby, but she definitely goes, we do know that she goes over, we know that she goes over to Glennon's parents to talk to them about marriage. Okay. No, maybe I'm just, I'm just, I may be just parsing a little bit there, 
But, no, I'm all up for learning. I, yeah. I'm, yeah, no, I'm all up for learning. So it's a better way to say this is what I'm hearing. And see, this is good because see, I'm learning this myself, right? Maybe this, these are things that I've been conditioned. So something that I'm hearing is that instead of saying that she asked for her hand in marriage, it would be better say that she talked to her parents about marrying Glennon. Yeah. And we'll unpack that scene a little more, but we don't actually see that scene on the page, right? right. We hear about it from Glennon's perspective which is interesting. And it makes sense because Glennon wasn't there and Glennon's the memoir writer here. And um, so, yeah. Thank you for, for speaking up and tell me that. Something for me. And, and, I, and one other thing I would just add, which you wouldn't necessarily know from what's on the page, although I'm going to open chapter one. I know this because I'm a Glennon I'm a Glennon fan and I listen to her podcast yeah. and, and I know all the things. And, and that's actually something interesting to talk about perhaps at the end is when we read memoir, you asked earlier, what's the difference between memoir and novels? And another thing I would say is when we read memoir and particularly when it's a, a writer who we're familiar with, because we, this is her third memoir. And she, I mean, Glennon, if when you're in Glennon's world, you know a lot about Glennon. And so we're not just reading completely fresh what's on the page. We're filtering it through all the other things we know. Mm -hmm. And so that is also kind of an additional layer. I'm just looking to see. I wanted to make, yeah, she said she became bulimic. It's not clear on this page, but she definitely doesn't say that she is no longer bulimic. So let's just put, that would be another little tweak that she's, she's had challenges with bulimia for many, many, many years. Okay. That's good to know as well. Thank you. See, this is, this is, a, I value conversation because how are we supposed to grow and learn without it? So thank you for pointing that out. Sure. Okay. So we will take those and with the additions of what you said, carry that into the first chapter questions. You brought up something that probably could work well with this first question. The first question deals with genre. And the question is, what kind of story is it? And I'm going to tag on to that because I had a question for you off podcast that you answered for me. And you talked about how untamed is really genre bending. And I felt that because when I was reading it, my question to you was, are memoirs typically from one moment in someone's life? Because untamed feels like a moment in life, but the way that the chapters work isn't necessarily a linear timeline, it felt like. So my question was, is that traditionally what happens in memoirs or is it not? Usually something that happens in memoirs can it really have a difference. So I'd love to hear, you're the memoir expert here. Educate me, educate our listeners. What yeah. can you expect from the genre? Yeah, so I think most people would categorize untamed as a memoir, but it could be categorized as self-help also. And what we do see a lot of is memoirs that are kind of in this hybrid space that they are both the rope story and their self-help elements to it. And Glennon comes out of that more that self-help space. And so we definitely don't have traditional chapters here. And we'll talk about this a little bit in chapter one. She basically toward the end of the chapter says, these are the stories of how I got caged, the keys to get to letting me out of my cage, and then how I got free. 
And I mean, that's the structure of the book. There's three parts. There's cage, keys, and free. And the quote unquote chapters are really stories. They're vignettes and they fall under those, each of those umbrellas. And would I say this is a memoir? No, you know, a, a, a more classic structure memoir would be wild that, you know, many, many people have read. That's the book that for, I think it just had its 20th anniversary or something, but it's like, I know, I know I could be wrong, but it had a big anniversary and I think it's the 20th. But Wild has a story present structure. When we say story present, it's like, when does the story start and when does the story end? The main story. And then Wild, it's her hike on the Pacific Crest Trail. And so it's a really defined container on a certain number of days. I can't remember how many days it was, like 73 days or something like that. But then Strayed, the author, goes back and forth in time with flashbacks. Right. But there but but there is a linear structure with she starts the hike and she ends the hike. Right. And we don't really see that in Untamed. There is a loose structure that the part one is that is the is the cage and part two are the keys and part three is free. And part three, I don't know if you noticed, this is by far the longest section. They're not at all equal parts. So it's, you know. I know you're and your listeners who write fiction are probably really familiar with like the three act structure. And I, I mean, in some ways this kind of is, but it's also not. Can I answer your question? It does. I think that to add on to that, it does follow a three act structure, but kind of doesn't. My question for you would be, how can you do something like that? Because this clearly does. It captures our attention the whole time through. How can you do something like that and not lose a reader with pacing? Like, do you think that a reader would get itchy at any part if free is actually the longest part and that ultimately would lead to, does a memoir, would a memoir lead to a type of climax? And it's kind of one of these ideas of when you're reaching that moment, that final moment, how would it work percentage-wise, pacing, does anything, would a reader ever feel like that's off or just be so enthralled with the story itself that it doesn't matter to us? Well, okay, I'll say two things. In a more traditional narrative memoir, like I, my memoir does follow a more traditional arc, although I do have some vignettes sort of sprinkled in. So I've got a bit of a hybrid structure, but I definitely, I use the save the cat structure to pace the book. And what I would say, and, th- and this, is, this is what comes up in coaching a lot. We're in the hands of a master writer here, okay? Glennon is the writer. She is a beautiful, beautiful storyteller. And there is an arc here. And we care about Glennon. We know from the very beginning, the opening line of chapter one, she lays it all out. Do you mind if I just read the opening line of chapter one? Chapter one, she says, four years ago, married to the father of my three children, I fell in love with a woman. Okay, so she pretty much lays it out right there. and. This book, we know that that's what happened, right? So we're not reading this book to find out what happened. We're reading this story to find out how it happened and how she coped with that and what she felt and all of the hard things, right? So hear about Glennon and we're in the hands of a master writer. So what I would say is that 
pacing for a book like this in the hands of a writer like this is less important than just being immersed in her world and caring about her and us too, because she's connecting with feelings that we may not have even realized that we had. Okay. That helps a lot. When I'm looking at genre, the other thing that I look at, you've mentioned the commercial genre, how we would market this, the self-help memoir, right? I also like to think about content genre, the story type. So what would be the story types that are driving the story? When I look at this, I'd probably call it a worldview story where we're, it's very internal, it's very emotionally driven, and it's probably about changing perspectives of maturation growth in some way. Would you agree with that? Yeah. In memoir, we have categories also. We talk about there's coming of age stories. Yes. There's identity stories. I, I would probably probably put this under that identity story category. Great. Yeah. Do you think that there's any overarching external storyline that really challenges that identity story? Like anything in particular that's consistent or because we have these vignettes, it doesn't really exist as much. It's more on a scene level. Well, let me see how I'm going to answer that. When I picked up this book, I knew, you know, Glennon's basic story. I knew that she had fallen in love with Abby and they had gotten married and I knew all the things. But I didn't know the details of how it had all happened and how it had unfolded and all of that. And I, I was really interested for lots of reasons. One is I, I came out later in life also. And um, my, my memoir is, is about this. And so I can relate on a very concrete level. But I also, yeah, so I was very interested in that. She doesn't, she does tell us that story, but she doesn't tell it in a chronological way. She doesn't, she reveals it bit by bit. And because she does understand the overall arc of her story, which is the big story, which is not about coming out and meeting Abby and all of that. It is about becoming wild again. It is becoming yeah. untamed. I mean, yeah. literally the title of the book. So there's really interesting plot level if you were going to plot this book out in mm -hmm. a the story present, say we say the story present is Glennon. Can I just share a little bit about yeah. this? Okay. Yes, of so course. Glennon, yeah, you go. Okay. So Glennon is, this is her third memoir. So her second memoir, which was called Love Warrior, was about the falling apart of her first marriage and the reconciliation of her first marriage, okay. which is a marriage to a man. And she was about to go launch her book and about the reconciliation of her marriage, her first marriage. And she meets Abby at a book event. Like her life changes on a dime. You know, she she says she this is in, in this book, there she is. And all of a sudden everything that was her moment. I mean, and so if we're going to view this book the plot level of the story present could be everything's normal. Glennon's writing another bestseller and she's about to launch her book about how she reconciled her marriage and then talk about an inciting moment, right? An inciting incident. Abby shows up in her life and we could plot out that very traditional way 
how they, you know, how she navigated all the things. And then the end of the book could really be like the beginning of the book, which is when she gets married to Abby or something like that. Mm -hmm. And all of those things are there in the book. It's just that they're not there in order Mm -hmm. because that isn't, we would have been reading a book about somebody coming to terms with their sexuality later in life, which is what happened, but that's not what the book's really about. Out. That's really important. I Does that think makes that you sense? Just, yeah, what you identified there, I think, is really important. It's like it, they have to exist because they create substance and emotion and heart, which is great. Absolutely. You went into this a little bit just a second ago, but the second question deals with plot. And the question is, what is the really story? What is the story really about? So it's about becoming untamed. Do you want to elaborate on that anymore? Or do you think that you've covered it? I think that picture that is what it's about. And, you know, Glennon talks about it's the journey from being good to being free, being pleasing to living and from choosing the world's expectations to choosing, choosing yourself. And that's what being untamed really is. What I think is so interesting is that this could, even though this is based in one culture, this probably expands to every culture that has ever existed ever in some way. It feels that way on its own. And that's why I think it is so universal, because in some way we all have been tamed in order to survive. And then at the on the other hand of that is that is that the best way to survive? Can you exist fully as yourself within a civilization. Do you see any of that at all as well or not really? Sure. Yeah. I mean, my memoir is called Graveyard of Safe Choices. And it's about it's about having lived a life, a safe life and not feeling fully alive. Mm-hmm. And I think that we Glennon's book Untamed is definitely written um, with a, a female a, a centered audience in mind. Um, but I think that there are you know, whether it's in the U.S. or in other other countries, and it doesn't have to just be women who are living in cages, who are not living freely. I mean, certainly LGBTQ plus people and people of color. I mean, there's there's a lot of people out there in a lot of places who are not feeling that they can be fully who they are. Mm -hmm. And and so, yeah. I would agree with you. I mean, it's definitely what's written from her perspective, but I think it can speak to a lot, a lot of people beyond American white women. Teaching the lesson ultimately of how to really be who you are. What's something that's so interesting to me is that this first chapter sparks that, you know, we're, we'll get into this a little bit more a little later, but it specifically hones in on she started to lose her spark at 10. And then she yep. does research because at research, 10 is when you're taught to be good, right? So and then it's like, but what really is the definition of that? So it's just so, but so simple, but so complicated. Because, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, it's all this invisible structures and systems that we just are not even aware of. And that's really what she's unpacking in this book through her own experience. And it's like generation passes down to generation to generation. It's just crazy when you when you think about it that way. Like I really love, a little unrelated, but I love the Disney movie Encanto. And I thought that that was a mm-hmm. big message. We almost are taught not to challenge tradition, not to challenge what we have been told to fall in line, fall in suit. And that's the way to succeed. But like ultimately, 
to restrain ourselves from finding who we are, sometimes we get to a place where we're so, so restrained that we don't even know who we are anymore. And I think that we have to really do a lot of unpacking to uncover that in order to be free. Use the word free. And I, I think that that is a bomb of, of what this story is about, about how to be free. Absolutely. Great. Question number three deals, deals with point of view. And the question is, who is telling the story? It's in the memoir, the author is the protagonist, perhaps at a different time and place. But this is Glennon, and she's a woman in her early 40s when this story is taking place. That doesn't get too complicated in memoir. I know in, in novels, it could get really complicated with lots of different points of view. Well, but it's always yeah, a big question. straightforward like, in memoir. <laughs> well, that's it's nice to have something straightforward, right? So yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah absolutely. A, I think it's actually point of view is one of the harder choices in fiction. It's like, oh, like, what's the best way to tell it? Let's try it in third. Let's try it in first. Let's try it in omniscient. It's all around it. And then memoir, we know who yeah. it is. We know it is. But, you know, where it can get a little tricky is when you have a memoir writer who is also telling another person's story mm. inside of their story and that's that's a whole nother we could we could do a whole nother podcast on that one but but yeah. this is pretty straightforward this is definitely i mean it's glennon's story yep so question number four deals with character this is probably a really important question for this so character which character should readers care about the most? And I'll say, why should we care about that reader the most? That's really interesting. Also, I would say, if we don't care about the protagonist, and, and I think this is probably true in novels too, right? If we don't care about the protagonist, we, we, we've got a problem. So, I mean, absolutely, we do care about Glennon and we care about how she's going to navigate this giant change in her life. But I also felt back to think about the prologue also i thought we care in the prologue i think we care about the cheetah a lot and i would also put the girls and particularly glennon's daughters in in the, so did you have a similar feeling or yeah absolutely i i agree with you i think that it is extremely important to care about the protagonist if we don't mm -hmm. have a sympathetic protagonist we don't have a story but yeah i feel probably even most concerned about Tabitha in that prologue. But what's so beautiful about that is that we feel for Tabitha because we feel what Glennon feels. We feel queasy when we realize yeah. that this cheetah believes in her gut instincts that this isn't where she's meant to be. But then she looks back, like what, how Glennon just internalizes it. She looks back and she sees her best friend, the lab, and she sees the happy zookeepers who have been able to care for her and give her such a wonderful life. She thinks, I should be grateful. Yep. And then that's when Glennon says, I would tell Tabitha, you are a goddamn cheetah. Yeah. And it's this amazing, really visual and emotional opening that connects immediately to anyone who has felt wrongfully tamed or unknowingly tamed. Right. I scoured the internet and I had been unable to find this, but if I ever had the opportunity to get Glennon in a room, I would love to ask about how, when that story took, I mean, we know when it takes place, she tells us, but how it took place in the context of writing this book. I yes. mean, yeah. had she written the book and then mm -hmm. this thing happened or whatever, because it's obviously, it's such a perfect 
it just sets the whole book up and you can't make up moments like that. They just have to be aware of them and have your eyes open. So I'd love to hear the story of that someday. But yes, it, 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 we do. We, and who would have thought that we would have this great empathy for a cheetah? Well, it's like I'm a, a giant animal lover. So I think I'd have uh, empathy for any animal on the page. But I think for, I'm forgetting the exact word. What is it when we, we humanize animals? What's that word? Do you know what I'm talking oh, about? Oh, yeah. An- anthropomorphic. Anthropomorphism. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, anthropomorphism. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like when we we do this as people, we anthropomorphize animals. And I hope I'm using that correctly. But we do that for animals because it's it's again like we're always trying to understand a little bit more about how to live through our perspectives and animals, their survival instincts. So they're living life based on how to survive. And it's just so interesting because even we're not so different really at the end of the day. I think that when you look at it, it's right. like, yeah, we're not so different. So we can know in our guts when something is off and we have yep. to learn to trust that, which is a lesson to be learned. Absolutely. Question number five deals with setting. And the question is, where and when does the story take place? This was interesting as I was reflecting on this. Well, just to answer you very concretely, though. Prologue takes place in a zoo at the Cheetah Run in 2018. And chapter one takes place, if we we do the math, it takes place probably in 2016 and it's in their home. And I happen to know that Glenn and, and Abby at the time lived in Naples, Florida. But what's interesting, and I guess I want to share as a coach and talking to writers, is that you know, we don't get a lot of detail about the the scene, the, the the setting of the scene, but we get all we need. And that's what's so beautiful. Again, you know, you're in the hand of a master writer. We don't really need to know what zoo it is, what city the zoo is in, the color of the couch that Glennon was sitting on and all of those things. Not to say that those details can't be helpful in books. I'm not, you know, not saying you have to be as spare as Lennon is, but we get, she's so much more focused on the internal and we get enough setting to ground us. We know Glennon's in her home. She's on a couch, which is, I think, her favorite place to be once you follow her (laughs) a while. And we get enough that we're grounded and that, but not anything more than that. Yeah, it's interesting that there aren't really specifications of the exact location. And in some stories, especially in fiction, setting is could be paramount to how yeah. the story is told. I mean, uh, I did an analysis, Project Dev analysis with Jennifer Klepper, another author uh, of Little Fires Everywhere, and it mm. must be set in Shaker Heights. But to your point here, we know that we're in the hands of a master writer because how she uses setting gives us what we need. And I think to pack on that, it gives us what we need because the story is so internal. The setting is crucial to the context and how it allows opportunities for Glennon to share her internalized feelings, expressions, perspectives. So the setting of the zoo at the prologue, we don't need to know the exact zoo, but we need to know that it's a zoo that contains a cheetah. But it's like how you use that setting, how you use the surrounding external factors 
to allow segues into internalized moments is really powerful. She really does master that. It's really great. Yeah. Question number six is core emotion. It deals with the core emotion. And the question is, how should readers feel about what's happening? For the prologue, the emotion that I felt and was sadness and sadness for the cheetah. And in chapter one, I, I felt inspired and a bit in awe and a little afraid for Glennon. And I mean, I think this is such an interesting question, period, just like the core emotion. What should, how should readers feel about what's happening? I think that that's going to really depend on the reader, right? Because we each come to a story with all of our, all of our stuff, right? And so depending on what stuff we're bringing, and, and it could be different in, on a different day. And so I answered that based on how I felt and maybe other readers might feel differently. I'm curious about. Boy, I think felt. you make a really great point that we all, as memoir in particular, we're bringing all of our stuff. <laughs> That's right, right? So mm -hmm. we're going, like when I'm reading the first chapter, I feel queasy when she feels queasy. And I think to myself, again, like I'm a huge animal lover. So I think it's one of those like tricky things where like you go to some zoos. And for me, I'm always like, this zoo seems like a happier place. And then other zoos, I'm like, this that cage is too tiny. Like it's too tiny. But I'm still there. I'm still at the zoo. You know, so it's just one of those things where when I'm evaluating that, I, yes, I felt queasy. I shared that emotion with Lennon for that. But when she starts talking about how you are a goddamn cheetah, I'm like, you are, I felt validated. It was one of those mm -hmm. things where I really felt, like you said, inspiring. And it's really interesting because I felt inspired and, and it was validating, but also nervous. Really, if I were to give one word of my emotion for the first two chapters, I think it's awakened. I'm feeling awakened in, in everything that she's sharing through an experience. But any awakening comes with uncomfortability, right? So sitting here and I'm thinking to myself, mm, this is going to be a really important read. This is going to be a hard read for me, for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Like there, I am going to learn things that are going to wake me up a little bit. And it's maybe going to be uneasy and uncomfortable for me at certain times. But it's important that I do that work because I can come out of this book better. You know, I can come out of this book inspired. So. I'm there with it. I'm excited to learn that. But I'm also like, oh, man, this is you are going to touch on so many truths that I'm going to really have to reevaluate, you know, you the word that comes to you, the emotion was awakened, because I think that that in that first chapter, very, very short first chapter, that actually what we see starting to happen with Glennon is that She's in love with Abby. She's expecting Abby to ask her to marry her. She's made this big leap already. But the impression I have from what's on the page is that the comment from her mother yep. about that she had never seen her look that alive since she was 10 really shakes her up and awakens her. And, and that's sad. really what the... Right. And what the book ends up being about is the exploration of how that happened and then how we can untame ourselves again. Yeah. So I think it's cool that you actually had that emotion 
And that was exactly, I think, the emotion that you're really connected with Glennon. You felt queasy in the, in the <laughs> prologue and now you're feeling awakened. Yeah. yeah. And, well, you know, it's funny because I think that, like you said, we all bring our own thing. So without going into my life story, but I think that it's one of those things where, how do I want to phrase this? Hold on, I'll think about it because I, I had what I wanted to say and I lost it. So, yeah, you go. I think that's really, really fascinating. And I think that is why this book has connected with so many, so many people is that Glennon is taking us on her journey, which is a fairly universal journey as as part of the human experience, particularly for for women. And oh, I know I was going to state that we were both forgetting. There's so many good, good things to say But I love also that sort of the dual emotions that the awakening brought up for you. It was like exciting, but it's also like, mm -hmm. oh, this is going to be hard. And I think that that's really that's how we feel when we're on this cusp of change yes. uh, is that because change is hard. And when we get awakened to something that is calling us, we can choose to go along on the journey of that awakening, which is going to lead to change, which right. is scary, or we can stay right where we are. And that's right. Be back in the bottle. That's right. That's what it's and like. That's, there's, you know, there's safety, yeah. right? There's safety in not being awakened, but there's not freedom. So, mm -hmm. yeah. I, I, and what I was thinking of, what I was thinking about, I thought about it. There are times in life, and I'm sure like there, life is hard. Right. So there are times in life where we're not going to be the happiest people. And I think one of the things that sometimes someone can mistakenly say out of love for another person is you used to be such a happy person or like, I, you know, mm -hmm. I, I, I miss I miss you smiling. And I think reflectively, like I know I probably have had that said to me at some point in my life. And I know others who have had that said to them. And it's very hurtful when it's said to you mm -hmm. because you don't want to be unhappy. And you feel then you feel bad that you're like, you feel like, am I dragging other people down? Like things like that. So it's just so interesting because that's how I felt Glennon was when she gets this line from her mother. It was like she has this really beautiful moment with Abby, but then she goes to this place of, huh, why, why did I, why did my spark go out at 10? Mm -hmm. and then she goes mm -hmm. on research, you know, she's supposed yeah. to research that. So yeah, I think it's, Life is hard. There will be moments where we experience grief and, and loss. We have to move forward because life moves forward no matter what. But how you exist is never the same as who you were. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's something that you have to learn who your new you is while not losing the you who you were before it. So that that way forward is is a challenge. Why memoir is so such an important genre, you know, to experience that. Absolutely. And the last question deals with stakes. So question number seven is about stakes. And the question is, what are the stakes and why should readers care what happens next? We touched on this a little bit earlier when we talked about this sort of unusual structure here that we don't have a really a traditional kind of page turner. I think the stakes are that we, even though we know from the very beginning that Glennon is going to make it, we care about how it's going to happen. And I'm talking more kind of globally about the book, but this is a hard one for me to just compartmentalize the, the prologue and the chapter. Do you see different stakes in there? I think the stakes are all internal. So I think it's what she has to lose is herself or who, who she can be as her fullest version of herself. If 
she doesn't embrace untaming herself. So I think yeah. on an overarching landscape, that's what we're dealing with with stakes is they're psychological stakes. The highest stakes are psychological. So that's where I see it. And then, you know, on an individual scene level, we see hints that's where it's going to be, but we don't fully explore it until we go through the story. Absolutely. That wraps up the seven key first chapter questions that hint at the big picture expectations of the story on a scene level. Now we'll actually go to the scene structure. What I use to do this, I very much believe in that there's not one way of writing, analyzing. There is subjectivity. That's the reality of it. There's subjectivity to analysis. At the same time, I think that we can use tools that can help us understand why we may like something or not like something or why something works or doesn't work. I always love collaboration because then I get to hear from other people. And the the tools that I use for scene structure to see that are um, taken from Story Grid or Robert McKee, I use the five commandments. I was able to identify the five commandments in the prologue and in the first chapter. Some I think are stronger. I, in the first chapter, I think that I have a stronger guess at what the five commandments would be than the first chapter, and I'll explain why in a little bit. But you may have seen something differently, and I, I don't think that there is a right or wrong to this. I don't think it's about us seeing an analysis how a scene works in the exactly the same way. I think it's more about can you and I agree through the way that we analyze that this moves the story forward and then it works. So what did you think? How did you embrace and analyzing the scene structure? Yeah, so this is this is not how I normally do it. So I'm going to definitely be relying a little bit on you um, <laughs> to lead us through this part of the conversation. But we definitely do see grill level in each of these chapters or themes. We do see change. And mm -hmm. so with, you know, when I'm working with, with a writer, scene is about change. I mean, story is about change, right? So that's the end and every, and every scene, there needs to be some change. And there's both the external change and particularly in memoir, you're going to be focusing on the internal change. So sure. I think that we do, we definitely see that in both the prologue and in chapter one. So in the prologue, we see Glennon kind of blissfully going to the zoo with her family and probably didn't have any great expectations. And then she sees this experience with the cheetah and her, I mean, talk about awakening her her whole kind of worldview is being is she's seeing what happened to this cheetah and she's saying this is what has happened to me and this is what's happened to women so i'd say that would be the change there and then in the first scene we've touched on this already a little bit we go from in the concrete she's not engaged she is engaged that's mm -hmm. the plot level mm -hmm. but the i think the bigger and in memoir and any character-driven fiction, the internal change is really what we care about, right, the most. Mm -hmm. And we do see Glennon going from probably being excited or anxious or whatever about what she thinks is going to be a proposal to a moment where she's seeing that this is about something much bigger than that. It's about the taming and that she's needs to unpack this to understand how this happened to her. Yes. Something you're saying that's very important that I think is something that we should re uh, emphasize because it's exactly what I think is foundational in scenes is that a scene is about change. 
a story is about change. If you don't have change on the scene level and on the big picture level, you do not have a story. So right. when I'm looking at this, when I look in and I zero in on scene structure, I look for three types of change. One of them I would say is the dominant change. It speaks to the big picture. And I very much agree with you in this case, that is the internal change. So anything that is dealing with a psychological shift or viewpoint, really the character, how the character is changing, that is going to be the significant change in how it speaks to the big picture level, if not the dominant change on the scene level as well. I also like to look for a little change. Do we have movement going forward? Very most basic literal way. And then I reevaluate and I say, okay, what was the big picture change here? So I have three Socratic questions that I use to do that. And you can feel free to jump in or I'll just run through them. But the first question that I ask myself are, what are the characters literally doing? And how does that change from beginning to end? So for me, the prologue I saw, they attend a cheetah run. So literal change on the most literal way, if I were to say something like this, and again, I've reminded listeners of this a lot, don't get hung up on finding perfect words. I think if you fester over perfect words, you will paralyze yourself. So just mm -hmm. pick words to explain what you're seeing as mm -hmm. a change. Can you defend that there's a change? I say waiting for a cheetah to watching the cheetah monitor the cage. Like on the most literal level, we're not actually leaving the zoo, but that is the change that we're seeing. But in the chapter one, it's a what is literally happening. It's a proposal. And the change goes from in a serious relationship to engaged. So on the most literal level, that's what we're seeing. And the second question is the character. So what does the main character in the scene want and what is their goal? And how does this change revolve from beginning to end? And I think that's important because understanding a character's goal or want helps us identify the commandments and how the commandments impact the character and how they move through a scene. So in this case, I said in the prologue, Glennon wants to watch a cheetah run with her family. That's why she's there, right? We're going to watch this cheetah run. When the cheetah actually runs, though, this disturbs her and she wants the cheetah to be free. So mm -hmm. I said that the change there is uninvolved to second or uninvolved to queasy. Chapter one, I said Glennon wants an untamed life with Abby. She can have this with a proposal and will, but Glennon's mother's comments bother her and establishes a kind of a new goal for her on wanting to explore why she was tamed since she was 10. So I said present to curious. And that one I'm not as confident with. And I'll explain why when we get to the scene structure. Do you have any input for that one? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like that a lot. Okay. I think that the question has shifted, shifts in that moment. And really, it becomes the, the question of the book. On the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. And then question number three, I say, how does the change in the scene impact the big picture and particularly the value shift? So something of value has changed. Again, because this is memoir and because this is such an internalized story, that main value shift will probably be an internal shift in some way. But I like this question because I think it's really important to always be checking ourselves and asking ourselves, does the scene impact the big picture? Because if it doesn't, we're probably not moving the story forward. So for the prologue, I said the scene metaphorically sets the stage for everything Glennon felt and overcame since she was 10 years old. She relates to the cheetah, and this is why it sickens her. So she says, unattached to personal or could be indifferent to awaken. Those are the changes that I focused on. Chapter one, I said, Glennon accepts engagement to Abby and begins their happy, free, and untamed life together. Glennon also, however, starts to explore everything that caged her life since she was 10. 
so that she can understand herself differently and have her fuller life going forward. And this is why it's so interesting because it's exactly what you said. This isn't a question about what's going to happen. This is a question about how is it going to happen? And that's why mm -hmm. we have the opportunity for Glennon to say things like, my perspective is different already in chapter one, because we can see it's a reflection. Right. So I said that change there, going from something like naive to sophisticated is the most bare bones value change on a worldview spectrum. So that's where I zeroed in for like my content genre. But really, if you were to go from something like this, how it's starting to shift her, maybe you could say something like starting to be free to challenging herself to be free or something like that. Like the words aren't exactly the perfect, but we see that there is movement because of her willingness to dig deep on why she was tamed since she was 10 to really start to explore how she was tamed and start to free herself from that. We're going to see the evolution of cage to keys to free. Yeah, I think that I might use the words, she goes from simple to nuanced maybe, or it's much more complex. I mean, she thinks yeah. that, oh, I've done this thing. I've blown up my life. I'm yeah. marrying the woman and I've done the untaming. And yes, she has on a certain level for sure. But now she, because of the mother's comment, she realizes that there's a lot of deep unpacking that needs yes. to happen. Yes. Okay. So from that, we've moved into the five commandments of the scene. And these are elements of plot on a scene structural level that can determine if you have a structure, if you have a well-structured scene. The first of these commandments is the inciting incident. This is an unexpected disturbance that either establishes or creates a goal or want for a character, or it shifts the way that a character tries to achieve their goal or want on a scene level. So what's interesting is that because we have these vignettes of, of how the story works, a lot of the chapter, at least in chapter one, is more reflective after the actual event has actually happened. Because when I'm trying to identify the commandments, I'm trying to identify what has happened on the page in the action in the moment. So we're not talking about backstory and things like that. While backstory, you need it to weave in to the context to, to create substance to the internalized moments, it's not necessarily how the commandments itself move the story forward. So with the inciting incident, when I was looking for what is that unexpected disturbance for the prologue, I said it was causal, meaning that a person causes it. And that's that the cheetah mm -hmm. reason. So this is, uh, this is changing our approach really on, on how we're going to view this goal in the sense because she wanted to attend the cheetah run, she's attending it, but now seeing the cheetah run starts to stir something up in her. Yeah. And then I said for I, chapter one, I said it was also causal and that would be Abby's proposal. So that would impact that. Totally. I mean, when I was looking at chapter one, I first thought that the the mother's comment might be the inciting incident, but I... I think that that is going to come later in these commandments. So I agree. That is what leads to the mother's comment. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And this is a, a great distinction because it can be tricky because the inciting incident, all the commandments are important, right? So the inciting incident and the turning point are both really important. But what actually changes the value in a scene is a combination of the turning point in the crisis question or the crisis. So or a crisis mm -hmm. decision, whatever you want to call it, they really, they can't be separated in my opinion. They go together. The turning point isn't just any conflict. It's the conflict that causes the crisis. And right. a climax is how a character acts on a crisis, which 
it's a tangible example of how the story is moving forward because the character has made a decision. So right. the turning point is an action or revelation that forces a character into a crisis. It's not a progressive complication. It's the progressive complication. Mm-hmm. So in this case, the turning point I said in the prologue is when Tabitha scouts the cage boundaries and Tish points this out. I think that's like the distinct moment that we're now really monitoring. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And that causes a crisis of, and this is where I see, this is where I'm a little uncertain of how to phrase the crisis in this prologue. But I think that that moment really makes Glennon long for that cheetah right? Long for Tabitha because she has felt this. So I think that you could maybe phrase a crisis something like, does she allow herself to connect to the cheetah's experience or not? Or does she allow herself to get emotionally involved with what the cheetah is experiencing or not? So it really pulls us in internally there because she could just ignore it, which would be just like, shove it down, shove it down, ignoring Mm -hmm. what, what she's really going through. Or it'd be opening up her experiences to something that, again, is going to awakening, but be difficult. For chapter one, I said the turning point is revelatory. And this is when Abby shares what Glennon's mother said about Glennon not being this alive since she was 10. And for me, that's the purpose of that chapter because that's where she starts to support. So that crisis, I said, is the best bad choice. Should Glennon investigate why her spark left her at age 10 or not? The climax then is the action that the character takes in response to their crisis. And in the prologue, Glennon thinks about the cheetah and what she'd like to ask Tabitha. So what is she doing? She's getting involved. She's starting to get involved. And then in Mm -hmm. chapter one, Glennon does the same thing. She researches why her spark goes out. She, in both cases, experiences a moment that makes her question, do I unravel what has been buried inside me or not? And she says yes to both situations, which is hence why the story ends, right? (laughs) Exactly. And I mean, what's I'm smiling because I think Glennon had maybe had this experience at a certain level. I certainly did. And this is what my whole book is about is there are all these moments along the way where we are awakened to something about ourselves and we can choose in that moment. What do we do with it? Do we just stuff it back down and stuff it back down. And I clearly did that for many years. And I think Lennon did too. And so it's just interesting. This is actually what is playing out in chapter one. She's getting to decide. It's really important about this question is even to stuff it down ends in a consequence. And that's why it's a crisis because something has touched the questioner Mm -hmm. enough that they have questioned it. To get to a place of revelation of at least that far, you already have engaged with it. And now it's one of those things where you can stuff it down, but in the rudest roots of your soul, I think you're constantly going to be questioning or feeling really what Tabitha feels. This isn't right. I'm going to try to convince myself. I'm going to try to convince myself that it's right, but it's not right. So eventually it's going to blow up on you. Oh, yeah. I love the the fiction story, Misses Everything. I use it as an example for women's fiction masterwork. And it's a story of two sisters. And essentially, it's across five decades. And both of them have their own arcs. And it's so internalized because both of them experience traumas in their early childhood 
that leads to their decision making out of really exhaustion. It's a perfect fiction example for Untamed because I think it's that whole thing is that you can only shove something down for so long until it either eats you alive or you defeat it yourself. Yeah, I love that book. That's a great one. Yeah. Thanks for reminding me. I'm going to have to pull that out again. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really inspired me. Okay. And then the last commandment deals with resolution. So the resolution is basically showing us where we sit with the character at the end. So where the character is psychologically at the end of the scene. In the prologue, it's quick because both these chapters are quick. But in the prologue, it's a quick snippet because we see the cheetah and then Glennon decides to engage internally with this by having a conversation with Tabitha in her head to convince Tabitha that she's not crazy. You are a goddamn cheetah. So the prologue, I said, ends with Glennon relating to the cheetah from an intimate perspective and defending Tabitha's instincts and reminding her that she is a goddamn cheetah, which is how she also relates to that personally. And then the end for the resolution of chapter one is actually a good chunk of this chapter. Again, the chapter is short, Mm -hmm. but a lot of this chapter, it's a little unconventional in how well, not even really unconventional because commandments don't have to happen in a perfect systematic percentage way. But this one, in, in this case, I think the resolution is maybe even more than half the scene. So I think it's that idea here of when you have a lot of the resolution is then reflecting, Glennon reflecting on why she lost her spark since she was 10 and how she started to get it back. So really Glennon reflects on her bulimia and she reflects on why she started to kind of lose her spark since she was 10 and how that made her sick. And then she also says that she starts, she understands this differently now. And I pointed that out earlier because this is a story about how instead of what we can say that we can understand we're going to be okay here, but there's going to be a lot for us to sort through before we can get to that point. And then I also, she also reflects on how since Abby and her, since she has been with Abby, her life has been able to be fuller, freer. She's been able to find more of who she is with Abby. So we get more of a reflection as a resolution, but in a way that's what a resolution does. So that's the stage. Yeah, it definitely I, hooks me. Yeah. And what I would say kind of coming full circle to earlier in our conversation, the end of that chapter one reads to me much more like almost an introduction in a self-help book. It really, we get out of the scene and we get into summary and also very much this is what is going to happen in this book these are the you know she tells us these are the stories of how i got caged and how the keys and the freeze so it reads much more like a self-help book at the or an introduction of self-help book not the whole chapter but that last part yes i love that you pointed out there's actually a page break so on page five i have the printed copy the scene, she's starting to analyze how she started to lose her spark since she was 10. And she has a few last lines. It says, I understand myself differently now. I was just a caged girl made for wide open skies. I wasn't crazy. I was a goddamn cheetah. So it goes right back to the prologue there. And then there's a page break. And that's where it really does enter that self-help segment. So she talks about when I saw Abby, I remembered my wild. And I'll just read the, the last two paragraphs of it because... They're beautiful. And she says, Mm -hmm. over time, I walked away from my cages. I slowly built a new marriage, a new faith, a new worldview, a new purpose, a new family, and a new identity by design instead of default. From my imagination, instead of my indoctrination, 
from my wild instead of from my training. What follows are stories of how I got caged and how I got free. And there it all is. Like, how? 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 Laying it all out. I love it. I mean, it's so clear and what you're going to get. So, yeah, it's a beautiful book. Yes. And if you haven't read Untamed, maybe this has inspired listeners to go listen to it. Tell us the title of your memoir that's coming out again one more time and where we can find you, Suzette. Sure. It's Graveyard of Safe Choices. It's going to be published by the University of Wisconsin Press in late 2023 or early 2024. We're we're waiting on the pub date. I should have that soon. Yay. And people can find me at on my website, which is yourstoryfinder.com. And you can read about the book and also my book coaching services. Yay. That's really exciting. On your way to having it officially yeah. published. That's exciting. Yeah. Did you have any other final notes you want to make about Untamed or do you feel like we've packaged it up pretty well? I feel like particularly you reading those last few lines, I think we've unpacked it pretty well. I really do. Great. Well, I'm excited to finish this. I'm powering through it. I'm excited to finish this. I know that it's going to be one that I'm recommending all the time. And I love that I was able to analyze this with you today and learn so much from you. So thank you very much for coming on and just happy to support you and celebrate your book when it comes out. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Lit Match. I'm so grateful that you continue to come back and support me and learn with me about how to write the best book and how to find a literary agent that is the best advocate and business partner for your writing career. If you're enjoying the episodes of Lit Match and you'd like to support me, I so appreciate anyone who takes the time to rate the show and write a review, or of course, refer it to another writing friend who could benefit from the resources and the conversations shared on this podcast. If you have any recommendations for Lit Match or any questions that I could help you with, please don't hesitate to reach out. I do my best to answer all of the emails that I receive and I appreciate any recommendations to help me make the show the best it can for you, you can email me at abigailkperry at gmail.com or find me on my website, www.abigailkperry.com. If you head over to the website, don't forget to sign up for my email list. That is where you will learn the latest news to anything podcast related or anything writing tips or other programs that I have to offer. Until next time, happy writing. Let me know if you sign with your dream literary agent or have a publishing date for your book. There's nothing better than hearing such great news from listeners like you. And I so can't wait to celebrate your book when it comes out.